Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. For my yoga teacher friends who are interested in working with the pregnant population, Prenatal Yoga Center offers an 85-hour Yoga Alliance certified program based on our three-pronged theory of prenatal yoga, asana, education, and community. Once a year, we hold our three-month immersion program in New York City. For those who cannot attend this training, Caprice and I are now traveling to different locations holding our training at hosting studios where we will spend six days working together, exploring and learning about prenatal yoga. This training consists of more than 50 hours working together. We also created a whole membership website with more than 20 videos corresponding directly to the manual you will receive. For more information, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. Hope to work with you soon. Take care. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk all about nutrition, nutrition for pregnancy, nutrition for postpartum, nutrition for kids, and overall health. And we have Stephanie Middleberg to talk about nutrition with us. So let me tell you guys a little bit about her. Stephanie is a native New Yorker who earned her master's in clinical science and RD, registered dietitian at New York University. Her innate ability to zero in on individuals' key food triggers has led to ongoing relationships with thousands of clients, editors, and publications, making her one of the city's most sought-after health experts. Recently, Stephanie has been invited by the 92nd Street Y to curate the world-renowned nutritional and wellness speaker series. Stephanie is consistently featured in top-tier media publications including Harper's Bazaar, Elle, Fitness, and Glamour, just to name a few, as well as having made appearances on numerous television networks. When Stephanie isn't working with her clients or media outlets, you can find her jogging with her husband and son, traveling or concocting recipes in the Middleburg Nutrition Test Kitchen. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming on to my podcast and chatting with me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to speak with you. Oh, thanks. So I want to jump into a little bit about you. So what drew you towards studying nutrition? You know, this is actually a, um, a second career for me. So my first path was I was um, in healthcare public relations. Um, I did that for about three years, and I started to develop my own stomach issues, quote-unquote IBS, and at the same time, my mom had a um, benign tumor in her stomach. So she was having all sorts of side effects. And I was really drawn to going to the doctors with her and trying to figure out a diet that was going to help me feel better. Um, and simultaneously, I just remember looking at my my manager, my boss, and thinking, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I need to switch careers. Um, and I literally picked, out, uh, picked up U.S. News and World Report's top grad schools. Um, and I was like, Berkeley, California, what do they have? Uh, and so they listed public health, and I was like, that sounds great. And I, I literally started just to speak to as many people as possible and um, landed at um, NYU because they had a joint um, RD and master's in public health degree, and um, I took it from there. And once I was in grad school, and I had never been to a nutritionist. I didn't know this was a profession at all. I feel very fortunate that I've caught the wave of the nutrition. Um, so this was back in... Uh, probably 2003. And then while in school, I, um, my mom had seen a nutritionist in private practice and I 
met her and I was like, wow, you're young and cool. And I became her intern and realized that um, I liked working one-on-one in a private setting. That's great. I do. I think nutrition is so important for everyone's well-being, not just in their body, but in their mind. So what is your approach to a balanced uh, nutrition? Yeah, I take a very whole foods based approach. I think that's first and, and foremost. So I don't believe in diet, diet foods. I don't believe in calorie counting. Um, so I really want people not only whatever to reach their nutritional goals, but to feel good along the way. Um, and I'm a New Yorker, so I think it also has to be very realistic. Um, and I think that's what clients appreciate about me too. Um, and um, uh, so I, I focus a lot on. Uh, portion control um, and being able to balance out certain choices throughout the day and sort of uh, various food combinations. Okay. So does your approach change when it's applied to pregnancy, postpartum and children? Yeah, I think with, absolutely. I think, you know, I think there's not necessarily one protocol that works for everyone. So, I mean, in whatever I do, I take a very customized approach because and I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, there's some people that feel great on having a much more animal-based protein diet, some that feel great much more on a plant-based diet. And I think with each person, we need to navigate what really works for them. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of clients come in, um, I work with clients for various various reasons. Um, And so I think, yes, maybe 70% of diet can be universal and then 30% really needs to be customized for each person and specific conditions. So for the pregnant mom, um, what might you change or add that might not be in her regular diet? Um, an emphasis much more on, um, well, first of all, a lot of things change for the pregnant mom when they come in. And I feel very fortunate. I usually have one of their first phone calls of one of the people that know that they're pregnant. Um, and a lot of this we have to, it's always a little bit of like, we need to play this by year to see how you feel because Mm -hmm. each week, each month can be a different experience. Um, so there has to be some inevitably some flexibility because it's going to change. You might be very nauseous in the beginning and then have heartburn and then maybe you have some constipation and now you're low blood sugar and you're starving. But, I, you know, I think a big emphasis needs to really be on the low blood sugar really um, is a big deal. So I think clients need to more than ever before need to be equipped with knowing the foods that are really going to be able to sustain them and what foods they need to keep on them um, and much more focus on timing of eating. Um, and for example, I think these, um, a lot of pregnant women, we definitely increase their, their fat. I'm definitely pro fat. Um, but making sure that any of the, the low fat diet foods are out the window because their bodies really need to absorb and, um, nurture their baby. So the fats is going to be a big thing. And that is also the key to, um, fats and protein at every meal and with their snacks are key to blood sugar regulation. Do you, uh, regulation. Do you think, so you mentioned the low blood sugar, which I'm familiar with. Yeah. Do you think part of that has to do with so many women are drawn to or are told when you're nauseous, have saltines, yeah. have bagels? Because yeah. that white yeah. flour, isn't that going to crash their blood sugar? It's going to spike yes. it and drop it? Exactly. Um, and you know, it's so funny because I think it's after I, I have a 17 month old. So after I became pregnant, went through it, I became actually a little tougher on my clients because <laughs> I know how you can go down that rabbit hole of eating all the refined carbs, but you feel so much worse. Right. Mm-hmm. And especially once you get your appetite back in the second trimester and you start to feel better, 
Um, you really need to make sure you fortify yourself with other foods um, because then, then the more sugar you and the more carbs you crave, the more you have, the more you crave, and it becomes a vicious, vicious cycle. Um, so it's definitely, there are, is definitely like a time and a place to have the crackers, right? Like some people suggest you need to have it right even before you get out of bed as, as a tip to, to help. But also the key though is really with, if you are having some crackers, you really need to pair it with some sort of protein or fat, like avocado or cheese, right? Um, no butters, things of that nature. That's actually what I did for my clients that were in labor is I had um, some sort of cracker, but more like a whole wheat cracker or whole wheat toast or multigrain toast yeah. with some almond butter or whatever nut butter yeah, just exactly. to balance balance it out. And what about yeah. for postpartum? Are there a specific, that was actually something I was concerned about uh, while yeah. breastfeeding is, you know, is there anything special that we need to think about for the postpartum mom? Yeah. And actually just to go back to, um, those that are pregnant, I think there's an also an emphasis that start early with um, gut health and probiotics mm -hmm. because I think that's going to be really important in preventing um, uh, colic behavior and allergies in your kids. So we really have a lot of pregnant moms um, moms take a probiotic and load up on um, probiotic rich foods like fermented vegetables and um, you know uh, yogurts and um, even a little bit of of kefir for them because um, more and more studies are, are coming out of, of things that you can do to prevent food allergies and something I'm invested in because my ironically my son has multiple allergies um, itself so I think but probiotics for for the mother is going to be very very important all throughout so um during pregnancy and, and postpartum as well. I actually did um, one of my podcasts with the scientist, Dr. Ann Estes, and she talked all about microbiomes mm. and it was yeah, a lot yeah. about gut health. Yeah. And she said a lot of the same things. Bef before I actually go into the question I just asked, yeah. um, I remember my own pregnancy, both of them. And tell me if there's, if I, there's just kind of a fad that I found, but a lot yeah. of about fish oils. And then I also yeah. read that zinc helps yeah. have um, a stronger amniotic sac. Have you ever heard that? And so I loaded <laughs> up on the sink and <laughs> and yeah. both kids, the, the bag of water didn't break till the very end. Have you heard that before? <laughs> That's amazing. Um, <laughs> I actually hadn't heard that before, but I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised at all because zinc is, is something that's huge as well as getting, um, B complex vitamins. Mm -hmm. And that again for the pregnant mom is huge because that can actually reduce nausea and help reduce the risk of miscarriage. Ah, okay. So pregnant moms, <laughs> listen yeah. to that. Go grab your B complex. There's a lot of ways yeah. you can get it. Can you talk about yeah, some there's of a the lot foods? Of ways you can get it, especially so um, you can get it it's from from fish. Um, the low mercury fish is what we want. You can get it from I mean, organ meats, I know none of, we're not really necessarily all eating liver, but beef and poultry, quinoa, legumes, bananas are great. Um, so B vitamins I th are really, really important, especially for those that are having, um, experiencing extreme nausea. Great. Oh, this is wonderful. Yeah. Well, what yeah. are some, what are some common nutrition errors or assumptions that you're seeing your pregnant and postpartum moms make? Um, yeah, I mean, I, one of them, I think, like to your, there's two. I think one of them is the eating for two. Mm -hmm. um, really, it's just 300 calories, which 
is not a whole lot at all. Um, but I, you know, again, to that point, I know I mentioned the calories, but I feel like it's very important to emphasize where those calories are coming from. Cause I know when I was pregnant, I, I was very hungry and I probably ate more than 300 calories, but it's different in getting that from, I think the refined sugar versus getting them from fats and proteins that can really make or break how you feel and your recovery from postpartum. Um, so I think it's, I think it is the the looking at it that this is the time that I can really uh, eat for two. And the problem, as I said, again, it just leads to a much tougher pregnancy. Um, and probably, like you said, the low the low blood sugar, keep reaching for those, those white carbs. Another thing that I see, I should say, though, is, um, and this is something that I experienced with me, the nausea. Sometimes it's, a, it's actually acid reflux. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things that we were doing, like reaching for carbonated water or ginger ale, um, maybe not eating actually makes it worse. Okay. So, so, um, that's where, so maybe take a step back and be able to, to know, to identify, could this be something different? Could something else be causing the nausea than just pure nausea? So what would acid reflux look for Um, someone if they didn't realize they were having it? I think a key thing is again, try not to go that long without eating because nausea could be a reflection of just low blood sugar as well. What would acid reflux look like if those, for those that didn't know they were having it? So sometimes people, um, a lot. And, um, as did I think that the main symptom is like a burning in the throat or esophagus. Um, and that's not, that's not some, for, for some people that is a symptom. The other sign symptoms is, is that nausea feeling. Um, and, uh, so, which is hard because in that first trimester, all of us are like just typically having <laughs> not feeling so great. So it is hard to identify what is going, what is really going on. Um, but I think that would really, the nausea would be just like another, a top side effect of the acid reflux. And that is just a lot of times just too much acid building up because our hormones change so much in pregnancy. So anyone, anything can shift at any point. Um, and it's not just about the avoiding, um, acidic foods like citrus and vinegars, um, and things of that nature, but it's also about the longer you go without eating, your system gets very acidic. So, um, what then no matter what you put into your system, you might have a reaction to. So just to make sure that your stomach is coated and you're eating every few hours is really important. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I was taught a few kind of home remedies for acid reflux, yeah. but I'd love to hear some of yours. Do you have yeah. any? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, God, do you do you make um, do you make an elixir? Is that one of well, yours? I've done- <laughs> tell you some of my kooky ones. So um, I read this book a while back. I think it was Holistic Midwifery. And Anne Fry said, don't go for a lot of Tums because they actually kind of fool. Like you start with one and then you're having like eight and it actually can create calcification in the placenta. And so she recommended um, apple cider vinegar 
to help neutralize also papaya enzymes. Uh, later, I start to discover some people said a little baking soda. Uh, I've heard um, slippery elmberg. I've heard raw almonds. A lot of these I don't know actually are true. True. <laughs> Aloe vera. Some people find that it helps. Um, yeah, all of these, um, I, I think all of them are worth experiencing. Apple cider vinegar, um, has had a, from my experience with clients has, has worked pretty Mm -hmm. well for, for clients. Um, you know, uh, again, there, it's not harmful to experiment with, with all of this. Um, but I would say, um, fortunately and unfortunately, nothing is tried into and each person responds so differently different to, you know, to each type of, of, of treatment there. Okay, good. So, all right, listeners go try it. Yeah. Try to steer away from the Tums, not having too many. Yes. <laughs> no. And I think, yeah, eat, I think the big thing is with, with the acid reflexes, eat small, consistent meals there. Yeah, that's definitely something that plagues a lot of women. Yeah. Uh, I want to go into, you talked a little bit about the extra calories, only about 300, which is great because actually I thought it was 500. So 300 is really kind of a small 500 when breastfeeding. Oh, okay. Good. To, that's where I got that number from, I'm guessing. Yeah. So yeah. what do you think? And I'm not sure if this is within your realm, um, but yeah. is there an appropriate amount of weight that you recommend that your clients look to gain? Of course, I'm sure it's based on what they start with, but yeah, is there exactly. a realm? Yeah, I mean, it does. It really, each person is is very different. And I first have to say, I think the key is that they're they're eating well, Mm -hmm. uh, first and foremost, much more than actually like the number that they're gaining. Um, But 25 to 35 pounds, I think is like, is a good range there. And anywhere from zero to five pounds weight gain in the first trimester, and then one pound every week thereafter. Well, what and then some weeks you might see nothing. And then some weeks you might see a growth spurt and it'll shot up three pounds. And I think for many people, it can all even out. Well, what do you say to the moms that are freaking out if they had three pounds in a week, or they're starting to push a little above that 35 pounds that, that we're aiming to hit? Yeah. Um, again, like First and foremost, I want to see how they're they're really feeling, um, and I look at their food journals to see really where do they need to minimize what they're having, um, and um, especially to be satiated. So sometimes we'll just like we'll look at portions. Sometimes people are just snacking too much mm-hmm. or grazing throughout the day, or especially snacking too much after dinner. So that's definitely going to be a spot where I'll work on it is going to be like the after dinner snacking and the volume that they're having at one time. So we'll definitely focus on portion control. And also, I think the sugars are going to be very, very important because um, gestational diabetes is a concern for many women. Um, And then, you know, I also think that what's important to note is that your nutrition is the first exposure that your baby has to food and flavors and spices. Um, so I really think that like is the first thing that kind of sets could set the tone to have them enjoying healthy food or have them enjoying having a sweet tooth, things of that nature. I'm going to kind of go with that. I'm going to riff on that a little yeah. bit, even though it's a little later in our talk that I was going to talk about it, but mm-hmm. okay. Cravings and kids and what the mom <laughs> ate. All right, so it's a little background for me. Both my kids, salty, yeah. salty, salty. They could eat salt. And I remember, this is going to yes. gross some people out. I remember pregnant with my son, I would literally be standing in the refrigerator eating anchovies out of the can. It, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was with both of yeah. them. I couldn't get enough salt and I couldn't get enough milk. And they both love that. Yes. Is that, is there, is there a relationship, do you think, between yeah. what the mom eats and what the yeah, kids? Okay. <laughs> that explains Absol- it. So at all, throughout all stages, right? So when you're pregnant and then when you're breastfeeding as well. That's really interesting. Yeah. Also, there is that flavor, there is that flavor exposure. And actually I'm, I know I feel like I'm jumping all over the place, but I'm really happy you brought up the anchovies though, because (laughs) the omegas, again, it's a great craving to have. I would be thrilled if any of my clients (laughs) were doing that. Um, but the omegas is, is another thing that's actually very important for pregnant women and postpartum women for just, um, for, for, um, brain health development. That is key. So if you can get in any sort of uh, if you get in fish two to three times a week, um, that would be fantastic. And if you don't, then I do recommend supplementing with an omega three supplement. Okay, great. Oh, good. Maybe we'll some that. DHA. Yeah. Oh, good. So maybe they're going to be really smart. There we'll you see. go. They'll be really smart. <laughs> Salty, <laughs> and- eating bags of chips, but really, sm- really smart. Really smart. So, yes. what other problems do you see? Because I know you touched upon. Um, so we've talked about acid reflux, and that we yes. can look at diet. Gestational diabetes um, can be help some, some women can resolve a lot of that by adjusting their diet. Are there other issues that you're seeing women have that uh, by just some simple adjustments of their diet can help them resolve? Um, what are some other common things? Um, you know, um, this is pretty generic, but even just some, um, water retention, Mm -hmm. that's a big one. Um, and I think actually a lot of people walk around much more dehydrated, than they think they are. And that's also dehydration is the number one cause of preterm mm-hmm. labor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really do want, it sounds like a lot, but you want half your body weight in ounces. That's a good amount to think about. And even if you need to add, um, I mean, the best way is um, you can infuse it with if you need limes or oranges or, you know, put in some like fresh fruit into your, um, into your water bottle, that's fine. But even if you're aiming, needing to do a hundred percent, a little bit of, um, fruit juice just to help you hydrate, then, then that's fine. Or what about my herbal favorite, tea? Herbal tea is fine. That counts? Yes. That counts. My tea. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's absolutely fine. Um, and I love making ice cubes, flavor ice cubes. And this is helpful because a lot of women are nauseous and they have a tough time getting water down. So if you want to make your own um, fresh squeezed orange juice, ice cubes, or lemon juice, ice cubes, and then just add it to your beverage, I find that to be really helpful. Oh, these are great tips. So I'm going to move on to postpartum. We, I started okay. asking this question, but then um, I, got, I got sidetracked. All right. So okay. specific, <laughs> no, no, no. I love, I love letting it just kind of flow. So specific yeah. nutritional needs for the breastfeeding mom. So background a little bit. Um, yes. I breastfed for my son about 18 months, my daughter at 14 months. And one of my concerns was that I was getting enough nutrients and then making yeah. sure that the baby did. What is the postpartum mom need yeah. the, that's who's choosing to breastfeed? Um, first of all, were you starving? Were um, you ravenous or no? You know, I no, neither during my pregnancies or postpartum. I was just really thirsty. And yeah. I, for both of them, I wanted to eat a lot of cold, wet food like salad. I don't know. Yes. Um, actually, yeah, something that I find to be really, two things I find to be really refreshing, and then I'll answer your question. Um, one in terms of, um, cold cucumber salads. Oh yeah. I went for everything that was cold and salad, yeah. like chickpeas, yeah. cucumbers. Just adding a little, um, uh, sesame oil 
or a little olive oil and sesame seeds mm-hmm. um, and rice wine vinegar is great. It's, and I actually think this is like it's a it's a perfect salad for both for people um, that have water retention and for moms that are nauseous and can't get in some vegetables because usually this is well tolerated. And the sesame seeds um, can contain over 20 percent of daily value of calcium. Wow. Right. So it's that's a really nice boost. And then um Cucumbers is great for, um, there's a property called enzyme silica that helps. It's why women put them on their eyes to decrease inflammation and swelling. It actually does that internally as well. Oh, interesting. And watermelon um, is really hydrating. Watermelon water is another great option for hydration. So that just reminded me of some tips. Um, So I was starving, and I I know everyone's so different when they're breastfeeding. I feel like I just couldn't get enough. But um, did you – I also have a question. I I recommend that a lot of women still keep up with their prenatal um, vitamins. Oh, yeah. I kept up like years past. I felt like it was good for my hair and nails. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. Why not? You know, don't stop because your body really does – again, it needs – your needs are higher than they actually are when you are pregnant. So keep with that. Second of all, I mean, I think some women really are, and I understand it, just as soon as the baby's born are kind of dying to, like, get their body back. Um, but I think they, this is really a time that they need to fortify themselves and really think of, like, food for nourishing them and to increase their milk supply. Um, so apart from making sure that you are having – you don't want skim milk as well, right? <laughs> so in order to prevent skim milk, you want thick – whole milk. I mean, you need to be eating enough fat, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really important. Um, little things too, that I think are really important for moms to fortify themselves with. I'm a big fan of collagen and bone broth. Interesting. Um, okay. so yeah, either, I mean, I know it's, you can make your own or there's various places that you can order online. Like there's bona fide provisions and broth masters that you can just reheat because it's filled with bone broth uh, amino acids, which is going to be, um, you know, giving you that protein and also very nourishing as well as the bones of these grass fed animals um, are filled with um, uh, every mineral, um, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, selenium. So it's really, really nourishing and you can sip it like tea or put it in a base for soup or saute your vegetables with it. So I really like my um, my new moms to fortify themselves with some bone broth. Um, and you can also get some collagen powder, which is also good for um, doing similar things. And you can put it into smoothies. You can put it into your your oatmeal or, or what have you. Um, so when we talk – so there's two things. We talk about – Fortifying yourself and making sure that you're recovering, right? Which is which is really key. And then um, we are talking about then things that will also help support um, milk production and breastfeeding. And that um, that's where we talk about like the lactogenic diet, where um, oats become a key player, mm-hmm. flax becomes a, a key player. There, um, seeds are really important. Um, Wheat germ is great. And actually, one of my favorite things that you can make. Did you ever make those little energy bites? I used to get um, these breastfeeding cookies. Um, yeah. At the time, I had the, uh, this place called the Upper Breast Side right around the corner yeah. from me. And yeah. I would get these breastfeeding cookies. And then, of course, oatmeal, flax seeds is something that we yeah. regularly had. And I remember when I was concerned about milk production, right around like month eight, nine, um, I really kind of went crazy with all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, and it's um, good too. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, the exact thing is, it, again, as long as you're not adding tons of sugar, this is all really healthy foods to have. So there's, there's, it's fun to um, think about making cookies with it or pancakes. Um, but I love making these little energy bites, mm-hmm. um, which is a nut butter, and then you add oats to it, ground flax meal, you can add coconut, chia. Um, maybe a little bit of maple syrup and you just put them into little, take a tablespoon, make them into little balls and then put them in the refrigerator. That sounds so fantastic. It's kind of, yeah. It's kind of like making your own energy, but, and it's great because, or, uh, energy bar, cause you can take it with you. And I think that's, and you can eat with one hand, which is really all things that are really important for breastfeeding moms. Absolutely. Well, these are great tips. And then, um, how much hydration does the postpartum mom need? You know, Oh, she's going to need, um, uh, you know, I recommend almost at, at every feeding, you know, you're having at least like eight to 12 ounces of water and you're feeding every two hours in the beginning. So that adds up. <laughs> That's something I remember. I was just so thirsty yes. all the time having my water bottle with a straw yes. and just breastfeeding with one arm and drinking with the other. I was always so thirsty. Yeah. And I think sometimes water doesn't do it enough, which is why I was like the watermelon water or coconut water can give just one bottle of a day in addition to the water can really be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you might need the electrolytes as well. Right. Uh, or, you know, you can kind of make your own sports drink by doing some lemon juice, a little, adding your own salt to it, um, a little orange juice. That sounds good. Um, and mixing it and mixing it all together. So you can really give yourself a little boost that way. I also did a red raspberry leaf tea. I made yes, it into iced tea. I still great. love it. It's so rooty tasting. I really love that. All right. Do you have anything you want to add about postpartum before we move on to kids and babies? Anything else? Um, I think we, um, I think we covered it. I mean, I think, I think with my clients, the postpartum is trying to get, I think the challenge is actually just feeding themselves, trying to have structure of having meals, because I think, especially for first time moms, it's just very over overwhelming that you're now on somebody else's schedule and you really are not paying attention to you. Um, so I think during that nesting period, it just, it requires a little bit more planning and thought before of foods um, and meals that you can make rather quickly or even foods that um, you can heat up very quickly, you know. Um, so there's even that's there's even these pre-cooked grains that you can get that I really like, like Lundberg Farm, Seeds of Change. Um, so it's perfectly okay to kind of use these um, these little helpers along the way. That's great. And I also tell my mom friends that when they have friends visit them, they don't need flowers. Yes. They don't need balloons. They need right. food. They can stick in the food. freezer that they can then heat yes. up. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it's just prepping. It's, it's planning and prepping for that because, um, you know, again, um, stressed is desserts, stressed is dessert spelled backwards, which is one <laughs> of my favorite things. So <laughs> There's a lot going on and, you know, you just want to stay as level and as calm as possible. So, um, I know what it's like when you, when you can become hangry as well. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> use your friends, use your people and use those online ordering, um, programs to help keep you fortified. Oh, great information. All right. So kids and babies. So some of the same questions before, but now kids and babies, sort of some common nutrition errors or assumptions you see parents make in regard to food choices or habits with their children. Yeah. So I'm a big, just as a big proponent of 
actually starting um, to get in the to developing the palate very early, right? So like you have this flavor window that's really up until like the first few years of life where, you know, they're sort of a blank slate. Um, and what I see, what I see happen, what I see, this also starts, I think, in breastfeeding moms too, is that maybe the baby's fussy and your advice was just to eat very bland food. Mm-hmm. right? Like stay away from like certain gas promoting vegetables and sauces and spices. And there could be so many different reasons why I think the baby could be fussy or if it's just a baby and it's fussy. Um, but I actually, you know, even starting from that point, actually think try not to go bland because we want to do everything we can for kids to have an adventurous palate and not be pick and not be picky eaters. So that, especially when you're starting thinking about like the first bites and foods, um, start with, um, I think many of the purees, if you are going that rate, some people do baby led eating too, which I think we can talk about as well, but, um, split them up with veggies and fruit. So I wouldn't combine them because oh, I think really? so much in the United States and you can, but also make sure you, you can, I shouldn't say don't ever. Um, but I think so much in the United States we have, you see even so much what's on the shelves is a combination of fruits and vegetables but really work hard just to do some separate, interesting um, vegetable purees so kids start to like that flavor versus needing some sweet always with their food. But it's interesting so I, that kids have such yeah. – they're so different. Like so with my yeah. kids, I really – because I'm a little crazy about nutrition, I really put effort into – I did a lot of my own homemade purees with both. And I kind of feel like I failed my yeah. second because my first, he just has the best palate. He eats beans. Yeah. Like yesterday, I'm like, do you want a sandwich or beans for lunch? It's like, I want beans, kidney beans. <laughs> like he just has such a great palate. And my yeah. second, and I followed the same palate, not quite as strictly. Yeah. And – you know, it's, she, it's so different. Like yeah. her, her yeah. vegetable, like she'll eat fruits, her vegetables, she eats peppers and cucumbers. But like my son has no problem yeah. eating arugula and broccoli. And I'm like, but I did right. the same thing. Dang. Yeah, no, I know. So there's only so much you can do. Right. But I think, um, then it's amazing how much just genetics takes over. Right. Yeah. For each, each person they're going to, like you said, like they come out with a certain personality um, but as much prevention as you can and um, strategic thinking as you can can be great. I mean, uh, like I said, I, I worked really hard with my – I thought I did everything right with my son and he has food allergies. Go figure. Um, so, But I, I do think that – I think that is, is a good emphasis that I think parents can work on. Um, when you introduce solids, um, that's one thing that I think is still popular. Pediatricians recommend rice cereal. <sighs> as the first food. Um, and part of the reason is, is that it's a non-allergenic food and that it's fortified with iron because by the time you're interested in, um, starting solids that their iron stores, um, wean. And so you need to replenish that. Um, the big thing for me, if you think about the most absorbable form of iron is actually animal protein. Um, so I'm a big proponent of starting. It doesn't necessarily not the, doesn't need to necessarily be the first foods, but um, I think you can start with some animal protein much earlier on than you need to. But rice cereal, not only, again, does it have a bland, muted taste, but it also is, um, it's refined and not giving your child any nutrition. Um, so I'm a big fan of, I love avocado as a first food, um, and I love some other um, vegetables like carrots and sweet potatoes are great first 
first foods to try before you move on. And another thing is just to add in um, pretty quickly some herbs and spices. So the flavoring. So, um, you know, I know I was like really hesitant to do that um, because we just don't, we don't know. But start with cinnamon, um, nutmeg, ginger, um, and then you can build rosemary, um, like onion, garlic, leeks, all of those things. So just to make food, um, again, that their palate can get adjusted to liking these, these flavors. So those are like my three wishes parents would do. (laughs) Those are great. So when you're talking animal proteins, um, so we did avocado for both the kids for their first, yeah. but so that's pretty soft and mushy and can go down pretty easily. Yeah. When you're talking animal proteins, yeah. what can you yeah. be more specific as to how to deliver that and which ones? So it has to be pretty mushy or are we thinking waiting yeah. till they yeah. have some teeth? Um, you know, either you can, uh, you can puree it though. I mean, I know that's, that's what, that's in the simplest form, right? You can, roast or even just steam the animal proteins and that and then blend it just puree with some olive oil breast milk what have you that's a good idea uh, um yeah and then you can mix it when moving on you can mix it with some greens and sweet potatoes and things of that nature um and then if you're going um later on right to like more of the baby led weaning yeah gnawing on some of the bones um is a good idea too before like they're able to really get down some more of like the mushy proteins. All right. So I guess, uh, for those out there, get your, get your blenders out there, roast up <laughs> some chicken and go puree. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. And mol- black shot molasses is actually another great source of iron too. So yeah. if you ever, you know, further down the road, if you ever want to add it to like smoothies or something like that for kids, it's a, it's I actually a wonderful did that source for pregnancy. Cause I had some yeah. anemia. Yes, and there that's, you go. that's common with a lot of, of women, um, especially if they don't eat a lot of protein, animal yes. protein. So I, right. I used to mix that into some smoothies. It's pretty strong tasting, but it, it definitely works. Yeah, you just need to get it down. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what do you say? So you talked about how to set kids' palates up. I love that. Yeah. You know, just start to expose. Yeah. But what do you yeah. do for fussy eaters? Yeah, no, it's really tough. And I think a big, uh, one thing is modeling. There's only so much you can do. And and I I think it can be, I understand that stress around, around mealtime with, with your kids. Um, so there's a few things. One, I think modeling is really important and trying to eat with the kids the best you can. So even though it's like, you might be feeding them dinner at five and you don't really want it, but like sit down and maybe have like a little appetizer with them because kids really love to copy what their parents are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so the more that they can see you eating the foods you want them to eat, the better off That, that is always very helpful. Um, the second thing is just making sure at each meal that there is something on their plate that they like. So at least you know that they're eating and then it could take up to 25 exposures for kids to accept a new food. So patience is really important. Um, I know, I mean, listen, I've made my meals where I've like put so much time into it for like my son just to like turn the other way and spit it out (laughs) and it's heartbreaking and it's absolutely heartbreaking, but, um, persistence there is, is really, is really key. Um, 
And, you know, again, not, not trying to make it like a stressful situation because they pick up on your stress. So, you know, just leave it on there, leave the new food on their on their plates and, um, you know, keep trying with that, but also try and make it a family occasion. Yeah. And we actually, wow. we end up eating dinner around six o'clock. We all start with the same thing. Um, yeah. Some, in, yeah. Sometimes they end up with a little mac and cheese, but we all start with yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's amazing for you to be able to do that. So yeah, it's definitely created as, a whole lifestyle. A yeah, it's created a whole lifestyle. So I want to talk a little bit about continuing on the fussy eaters. So I think yeah. many people can relate to this. So sometimes my two-year-old will just not eat like this morning. Do you yeah. want breakfast? Yeah. Breakfast. I figure she'll eat when she's hungry. Yes, hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a bad yeah. approach or do I no. try to force her? N- <laughs> no, no. You know, it's amazing because they are like the ultimate regulators and if we all can have that, what we had then at when we were like two, it would be an amazing thing. But along the way, you know, we've lost, a lot of us have lost our inner cues like that. And they make up for it. You might see them, she might skip a meal, not eat that much, and then chow down, right, on the next meal. And you're like, where is all that food going? So I would really, I don't think you need to, if, if, if there's not an issue with the other meals and just another, not an issue in general and her weight is fine. Well, and she's, she's pooping. So I figure parts. something must be coming out of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then it's like, okay, you don't feel like eating right now. You know, let's revisit this when you're hungry. And I think that's okay. As long as again, I mean, the other thing is, as long as what, what I think sometimes happens is um, kids end up just grazing all day which prevents them from being hungry at the meals. It doesn't sound like that that's your issue, but right. I think that is something careful that I think parents should just be aware of making sure that the kids are actually a little hungry for the meals. Yeah, we actually have to, have to stop them from having their after-school snacks so that we can eat at six. Yes. Um, I know this this comes up with some of my friends. We talk about this, that the little ones keep drinking a ton of milk, and I feel like I have to pull her back from her afternoon milk, otherwise she's not going to eat dinner. Is that yeah. something to be aware of? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the uh, kids love their milk. It's so comforting from them. But, you know, the truth is, I mean, at this point in the stage, they're not getting much nutrition from it. They uh-huh. just, it's, it's just a comfort food. It's comforting for them. Um, do you, and if you feel that it really does fill your kids up for the, the meal, then definitely, yes, try and wean down the amount that they're, that they're having. I started watering it down a little bit, figuring she'll just right. kind of pee it out. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Diluting it. That's the perfect, that's, that's the perfect way to do it. Um, and I think sometimes kids have like water with meals that might fill them up too much, right? Mm-hmm. They might be drinking too much water with it. So sometimes the strategy is just to make sure that the water is in between the meals for them, which can be, which can be helpful. And then some moms really like, I mean, I have no issue with milk at all, especially if you don't think that there's and intolerance. But, um, if you do feel like there's some sort of like inflammatory conditions or intolerances or mucus production, it's worthwhile trying some uh, goat milk, which is easier to digest. These are great suggestions. So I want to talk a little bit about your book, the big book of organic baby foods, baby purees, finger foods, and toddler meals for every stage. So it's a great book. I started looking through it. Uh, What sets this book apart from some other baby food books? Yeah. So, you know, this, um, book has, um, it, it, it's, uh, it, I got approached to do it. I never actually would have thought that I would have written a baby food book. <laughs> um, 
And I always thought, if I'm going to write a book, I just want to make sure it's something I'm super passionate about and write is, is not necessarily needs to be, um, you know, super trendy, blah, blah, blah. But so I got actually approached when I just started feeding my son by a publishing company out in California um, to do this. Um, and I was making all organic baby food um, for my son. So I was like, this is like, this is the perfect fit. I'm actually living it. Um, and I'm learning along the way. So, um, you know, I think a, that there's not many, um, baby food books that are actually made by registered dietitians. Um, so just in terms of some of like the, the facts and figures behind that, um, is different. Um, there's a lot of recipes. So this takes you through all stages. It takes you to intro to solids through family meals. There's over, over 250 recipes. So it really can go, um, worthwhile for a long time. And I was really adamant about the food, not just being kid food, that these are family meals, right? So that I would want parents to look at this and be like, oh, this is really good. I want to eat this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's um, a big difference there. And then we don't use any refined, there's no refined sugars, at all here. There's no white flour. Um, so everything is really nutritious. Um, and we have definitely some more, some, a bunch of grain free options, cauliflower rice, zucchini bolognese, um, things of that. And a lot of, um, variety for various blends for the parents who just feel like they're in a rut and just need some creativity and they're all really easy to do. Most of them can be done in under 30 minutes. And that's key, especially if you're yes. working all day or with your kids all day and you just got to get dinner done and ready. So that's wonderful. Yeah. And then we do, you know, um, the way I did it too is with the purees is everything can be just make it in bulk and freeze it so that you just have to defrost it. Um, which I found very easy and helpful. Yeah, I used to go to the farmer's market on Sundays, steam and puree Sunday night, yes. and then pop it all into these little um, ice cube trays and yes. then just keep popping them out through the week. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, it was- m- makes your life so much easier. Yeah, I couldn't do it every meal. So what do you want your readers to come away with with your book? You know, um, I... I there's, there's, there's a few things. So I, I want them to come away with also that like feeding should be fun. I mean, that's my whole kind of like philosophy with food as well. Like just enjoy the process as well. And like, I don't want anyone to take it too seriously. There's definitely going to be like misses and spit ups and things along the way that you're just going to learn. And, you know, it's a time that you're just going to learn so much about yourself and your kid's palate. So like, Um, I think that's really important, but I do think the flavor is really important that we had talked about. So with every recipe, you know, I, I have like a flavor, a spice or herb addition there. So I, I want to arm parents with, um, with the knowledge and the, um, the ideas of adding herbs and spices, um, and not necessarily setting up like kids foods versus adult foods, because ultimately I want there to be everyone. This is wishful thinking, but wouldn't it be great if we're all at the dinner table eating the same food? (laughs) I don't think it's wishful thinking. We do that. I'd say a good portion of the time I'd say every now and then we're having fish that I know they're not going to have. So I'll throw some, um, fish sticks in the toaster oven right. for them. But for the most part, like tonight, I have duck defrosting. We're doing um, pan-seared duck breast, and my daughter loves it. So, you know, my son doesn't. Right. But I know that for the most part that we try. The aim is that we try. And yes, I think exactly. having... And having been in New York, I felt really fortunate for so long that we could take them to restaurants where they could try foods that 
they might that I wouldn't cook. Like they love Indian food, and that's yeah. because we went there. I'm certainly not cooking it particularly well. Right. So right. yeah, I love yes. your approach. I really do love your approach about not making it bland, not making it fish sticks and yeah. chicken fingers for every meal. Right. Yeah. And like your point, like you want them to go to a restaurant and order from um, the normal menu, right? And not necessarily have to worry about like, are there like necessarily chicken fingers and just grilled cheese that they can, that they can eat real food. Um, and I think along the way, what I did with the cooking is I did my meal planning. So I was like, okay, we're going to make some Greek fish for me and my husband. And then we would just blend it and give it to my son the next day. And that just made all of our lives so much easier. Absolutely. You've got really great tips, great ideas. So where can people find you? If they're listening, they're like, wow, I really want to work with her. Where can people find you? Um, the best way, so um, I have a private practice in New York City on 56 and Park, um, but you can go to middlebergnutrition.com um, and there's all of our contact, my, all of my contact information there. So um, I can see you one-on-one. I do in-person or I do Skype, FaceTime. Um, you can also um, see us on social media, so at Middleburg Nutrition for Instagram and Facebook, as well as at S Middleburg RD. Instagram. Okay, so, I'll put that all in our show notes too. Perfect. Yeah. So if you type in my name, <laughs> something will pop up where you can, you can certainly find me. And I do, um, we do these mo- monthly, um, newsletters that, um, hopefully just give a lot of information to our readers. Yeah. I started looking through them. They're fantastic. Really good Thanks. stuff. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. I feel like our listeners got a lot of great tips all the way from pregnancy to postpartum to how to feed their kids. So I appreciate your work and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Stephanie. My pleasure. Great speaking with you. Great speaking to you. I take care. Have a great day. Bye. You Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.